chapter 1. Praise the Lord. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Matthew 1, 23 will be familiar to all of you. It's the announcement from heaven at the birth of Jesus. And the angel of God said, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and you shall bring forth a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is... One more time. Which being interpreted is... God with us. Folks, since the fall, man has sought God in his circumstances. Do you know what I mean when I say that? Mankind, for 6,000 years, has looked for God, sought for God in his circumstances. But today what I'd like to do is examine four stories that illustrate the fact that Jesus came as God's fulfillment, his promise to be with you in your circumstances. So I want you just to kind of frame that thought in your mind. Mankind seeks God in his circumstances, but Jesus has come as God's fulfillment to be with you in your circumstances. I'm going to share with you four illustrations. Let's take the first one from Psalm 105, the story of Joseph, who was sold by his brothers into slavery, went down into Egypt, became a slave to a military officer, Potiphar, was then thrown into prison, into the, the deepest political prison where he spent, again, a number of years until God brings him out. And we don't have time to go into the story, but God brings him out and he is elevated from the lowest prison in Egypt to become the second in command, the prime minister of Egypt, under Pharaoh. And the point that I want to make out of this first illustration is that, very simple point, God is with you. If Jesus is Lord of your life, as illustrated in Joseph, God is with you. Listen to what Psalm 105, 16 and 17 says as it describes Joseph. It talks about God sending a famine upon the land. When he, God, summoned a famine on the land and broke all the supply of bread, he had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. Now, doesn't that statement seem just a little bit odd to you? God had called for a famine upon the land, but it's okay because God has sent a man down into Egypt as a slave. There's just something about that, if, if I don't know the rest of the story, that just doesn't add up. You know, when God sent Joseph down to Egypt, and he was sold by his brothers through a betrayal into slavery. Do you think he realized that he was being sent on a call from God? That he was on a mission from God? When he was betrayed and became a slave in Potiphar's house, and then goes from bad to worse, and, and uh, is cast into prison after he's lied about falsely, that whole time, do you think he has a sense that God has sent him? Even though he doesn't realize that God has sent him, 
he still maintains his connection, his faith with the Lord, that the Lord is with him. And that dream that he had as a youth, that, that, that he had favor with God and that God loved him. Somehow, he held on to that and maintained it. Because if you read his story in Genesis, you find that he kept himself from caving into his circumstances and uh, assimilating into his environment and being like every other godless person. He was the only one who knew God down in Egypt. Nobody else knew the Lord. So even though there was no one to encourage him, no church to support him, he didn't have any people that he was a part of, he stayed faithful because he believed in his heart that God was with him. Let me say to you that God being with you is the one thing, the one thing you need for every success in life. You can do without all kinds of things, but the one thing you need for any success in life is for God to be with you. You know, can you imagine starting from a lower point than the point that Joseph started from? In his rise to be the prime minister of Egypt, he starts with um, no money, no education, no qualification, no connection to people of influence. You know, we sometimes are able to pull together a little faith and confidence that God's going to come through if we know somebody. If there's somebody in town you can go to, someone you can call, it's not so hard sometimes to imagine God's with me, God's going to work this out. But uh, he does not only have any money, any education, he doesn't even have the language, he's Hebrew, he's in a foreign country. He has no connection to people of influence. Let's take this a little bit farther. He's got no rights. He's been stripped of his rights by virtue of being a slave. He has no freedom. The man's bound up in chains, probably sold naked as a slave, which was common. So he's been stripped right down to his garments. The man has absolutely no rights and no freedom, and a famine is on the way. So could you imagine beginning from a lower place, yet he's on a mission from God? Naked, no rights, no freedom. No people, no connection, nada, nothing. And yet, God has sent him because a famine is on the way. Somebody say praise the Lord if you see where we're going with this. See, God is with him. God is with Joseph. Now, concerning the miserable circumstances of slavery, prison, and famine, God knows all those things. Does God not know the circumstances? He knows about the famine, the slavery, the prison, all of that. Concerning all of those circumstances, God answers, and His answer is, I sent Joseph to be the prime minister and address those situations. Imagine being Joseph. Look, if you can see yourself in Joseph's circumstances this morning, if in some small way you can identify with the conditions that, that Joseph is identified with as he faces the circumstances in his life, um, if you feel that way, then let me just encourage you to begin to believe in the power of God's presence in your life. That's what being born again is all about, is that when you face your conditions and circumstances in life, no matter how alienating they may be, you don't look outward to your circumstances to see God riding on the waves of the conditions and circumstances, but you look inward to the presence of God. Jesus said the kingdom of God dwells within you. 
So with Joseph, we see that God is with us. The second illustration I'd like to bring up is Gideon. A lot of people remember Gideon. Gideon's 300. He defeats, I think, about a, a third of a million, 300,000 uh, man army. Goes up against them with 300 guys. He's not only, he's not 300 crack troops. Israel has been, has been completely demoralized. Their military's been disbanded. And uh, Gideon is uh, just a guy. He's just a scared guy. He's kind of like a little rabbit in Israel. Um, and God comes upon him in the book of Je uh, Judges, chapter 6. The, the point that we want to make about Gideon is that God works through you. Not only God's with you, but God, number two, works through you. So look at Judges chapter 6, verse 12 and 13. Uh, Gideon is, is hiding out in this gigantic barrel that's a wine press. He's down in there so the Midianites won't see him, and he's beating out a little bit of wheat so that he can make a little bit of cornmeal or something to take home, make a little cake, and so that he and his little rabbit family can, can eat a little something. So um, that's the picture of Gideon. God shows up and leans over the barrel and speaks down into the barrel to Gideon. And he says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. God is either God or he's out of his mind. He's either... He's either got something that we don't have, see something we don't see, or God is the craziest of all of us. The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. But look at Gideon. I think it's the first moment in his life he'd ever shown courage. He turns his face up to the angel of the Lord, and he says, Please, sir, if the Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us, and where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us, and he's given us into the hand of Midian. So he's answering back to the angel of God. Now, he can't stand up to the Midianites, but he can argue with God. Um, this sounds like some church people I know. You know, they can't witness to anybody, but they'll argue with God. And, and, and have it out with God about how come your word says this and that. But they fall to pieces when it comes to having to stand up and square their shoulders and say something about Jesus loving you to, to the unsaved. So, he, in a moment of boldness, he turns and he, he addresses God and he disputes God's claim that God is with him. But look at, look at how he disputes the claim. He disputes the claim because he's he is confused about what God has said. He didn't hear the Lord correctly. He, he got it messed up when the Lord spoke to him. The Lord said, Hail, mighty man of valor, the Lord is with you. He didn't say he's with y'all. He said he's with ya, you. He's with you, not with you all. God didn't say, Hail, the Lord is with you guys. He said the Lord is with you. But Gideon says, well, please, sir, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? He's looking at his circumstances. He's looking outwardly. Gideon, when God announces to him that, that, that God is with him, Gideon at that moment is suffering from a condition that many Christians suffer from that I call group faith. Everyone say group faith. If God is with this group, 
and I'm with that group, then God is with us. If, if I find the group that God's with and join up with them, then God will be with me because I'm with the group. That's called group faith. But Jesus didn't come to be with y'all. He came to be with you. He came to be with me. Praise the Lord. So, so Gideon doubts that God is with him, citing the lack of evidence where in his circumstances. Now, God didn't say, I'm out in this cornfield, and I'm out here in, in, the, uh, in the territory of your land, and I'm driving the Midianites away. He said, I am with you, mighty man of valor. So you can see that God's looking in one direction. Gideon is looking totally opposite direction. God's looking into Gideon, seeing something. Gideon's looking out at his circumstances. And that's why they're arguing, because they're looking in opposite directions. Oftentimes, when God is trying to talk to Christians about their situation, He's looking in their heart, speaking to them about His relationship with them, while they're looking out at the conditions, arguing that God can't possibly be with them, because look at the conditions. Are you listening to me? So while, while we're begging for God to manifest in the conditions, God is trying to get our condition, uh, get our attention in our relationship. So look, if you can identify with Gideon this morning, then my, my uh, advice to you is that you remember that God's answer to being with you circumstantially is you letting Him work through you personally. So if you want to see God circumstantially, it begins by letting Him work with you personally personally. God begins with your personal relationship before you see Him manifest in your circumstantial circumstances, situation. I just appreciate the English language with all of the variety of words that we have with which to grab, and yet sometimes I just run up against a brick wall that word is just right within reach, and I, my mind, I have the mind of Christ, and he's bringing it all to me. Okay, um, number three, third illustration that illustrates an aspect of God being with us is the story of the Israelites in the wilderness. They've been delivered by, by uh, God's servant Moses. Uh, they've crossed through the Red Sea. You remember I preached, I think, about a week or so ago, and uh, God said, now's not the time to pray. Remember? Can you imagine God saying such a thing? Moses is crying out to God, screeching, wringing his hands. Oh, Lord, deliver us. The Egyptians are at his back. The Red Sea's in front of him. God says, not now. Now is not the time to pray. Now's the time to say. Speak, stretch that rod out. Say to the mountain, you know, you need to get your praying done ahead of time. There's time to pray. There's time to say. So at any rate, Moses is standing there, and it's not time to pray, it's time to say. But glory to God, the Red Sea's parted. Now they're in the wilderness. So we know the situation. They were supposed to take 40 days to cross to Kadesh Barnea and then into the Promised Land. It, that 40 days turned into 40 years because they wandered around there complaining, complaining, fussing. It's a tremendous message in that. I don't have time to go into it this morning. But that's what we're going to peek into is them during those years of wandering. Exodus chapter 19, verse 4. Listen to what God says to the children of Israel as they're in the wilderness. See if you pick this up. 
You yourselves, God says, have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. I bore you on eagles' wings and I brought you to myself. Now the Israelites had been complaining that God had brought them to their circumstances. They were saying, God, you brought us to this wilderness of lack to die in our circumstances. In Numbers 21.5, it records that the children of Israel spoke against God and against Moses, quote, saying, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? So in their minds, God brought us into these circumstances to let us die or to kill us with starvation or drive us crazy with this dull manna. And they went on to say, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food, no water, and we are sick of this worthless manna. Now, God, again, He's looking from a different perspective. Their perspective is, God brought us to these conditions. We always find ourselves, when the trial is upon us, bad news comes through the computer, bills you don't expect show up in the mailbox, kid comes home, messed up, your plan for their life has been disrupted, there's a rattling going on in your work, things are becoming insecure, whatever it is, it may be even worse, you've wrecked the car, maybe you're in the hospital laid up, there's been an accident, a bad report from the doctor, any one of a number of things that have come to us in life, our first thought oftentimes is, why did God bring me to these circumstances? How and where did I get off track? I wouldn't be in this condition if God were really with me. This can't be right. So we accuse God of allowing us to come or bringing us into this wilderness of circumstances. Yet look at what God said. You know how I delivered you from the Egyptians. I bore you on eagles' wings and I brought you to myself. See, God thought he'd brought them to an awesome situation. God thought this is just grand. Out here in this desert, nobody to bother us. It's just you and I. We have some fellowship together, get to know one another. See, God's all excited about it. He, th he sees this as glorious. They're going crazy. This is terrible. There's bugs everywhere. There's no cities, nowhere to buy food, no chicken out here. There's nothing. There's this bread that comes down every morning. It's horrible. We're sick of it. So, once again, we find in this illustration, very typical, we are looking for God in the conditions. But God is saying, lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes. Look to me. I brought you to myself. In God's mind, He said, I didn't bring you to these conditions. I brought you to me. Now, if you're not looking for me, if you're not looking at me, to me, and you're just looking at the water and the wind of the waves, yeah, you'll sink. But if you look at me, if you look to me, you can walk on this water. You just forget about the wind. Don't let, let, let the water bother you. I'm here. Look at me. This is awesome. Have you ever walked on water before? Hallelujah. God didn't bring you to drown you. He brought you so that you could walk miraculously on top of your circumstances. 
So we could probably add John in there as an illustration. So as a, <clears throat> without being redundant, God didn't bring them to their circumstances. He brought them to himself to pass through their circumstances. Can you see that? So look, remember this. When God's people only look for him in their circumstances, they invariably overlook him in their relationship. Let me say that again. That's, that's quotable. When God's people only look for him in their circumstances, they overlook him in their relationship. But that's where the power is. Emmanuel, God with me. Hallelujah. And when they do that, their view is dark. Their view is dark. They see life for themselves as going from bad to worse. Have you ever used that situation? Man, things are going from bad to worse. Some of you have been through a few relationships. It's going from bad to worse. Some of you have been through a few jobs. It's going from bad to worse. You've had some health issues. Man, it's going from bad to worse. If you've ever felt that way, it's going from bad to worse. And I want to encourage you, come to Jesus rather than coming to your circumstances. Forget your circumstances. Forget about it going from bad to worse. Come to Jesus, and rather than going from bad to worse, He says you'll go from glory to glory. See, God had glory for them out in the wilderness, and there was a greater glory waiting at Kadesh Barnea, and a greater glory waiting at, uh, at uh, Jericho and beyond. God's plan is to bring you from glory to glory. Now, you can either walk in your circumstances and let your mind, your eyes, your heart, your ears be filled with your conditions, or you can look to Jesus. You can look to God. You can look to Emmanuel, God with us. Now, that scripture that I read you where the Lord said, remember, I brought you out of the wilderness to myself. He went on in the next two verses, and it's worth, worth it just, just to hear this, what he said to them. So he said, remember, I brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession hmm. among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So this is what I'm speaking to the people of God this morning. If you will keep your eyes on the covenant, if you will come to me rather than come to your circumstances, forget your circumstances, regardless of your conditions, come to me, I've brought you to myself, then you will, then, then you will be a holy nation, a treasured possession. See, you think that in the midst of these terrible situations and, and conditions that you're losing, you're going under, that you're in a diminished capacity. But God says right at that moment, I've ordained you to be a holy nation. I've ordained you, in fact, to be a treasured, special prized possession to me. And you're probably tempted to think, how could I be a treasured possession? I'm in this messed up relationship. I'm stuck in this dead-end job, about to get fired. I'm losing my house. I don't feel like a treasured possession. But God says, if you keep covenant, look to me. You will be my treasured possession. Do you know what happens to God's treasured possessions? Do you know what he does with his treasures? Well, I can tell you what, what he doesn't do. He doesn't let the devil mess with them. He delivers them out of trouble. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of all of them. The problem is, is we give up on being the treasured possession. 
and we look at our circumstance and we, we gauge that God must not be with me because he's not with these circumstances. How can I be the mighty man of valor? How can I be God's treasured woman in this situation? Look at my situation. He's obviously not with me. Stop letting your conditions talk to you. God brought them out into the wilderness, not so they would listen to the wilderness, but so they'd listen to God. Amen. Somebody say, praise the Lord, if you know what I'm talking about. He had no plan to keep them in the wilderness. They were there to pass through. When trials come, they come to, and it, I read it in the Bible all the time, and it came to pass. It didn't come to stay. It came to pass. Are you listening to me? So this stuff comes to pass. It doesn't come to stay. You, however, and God have come to stay, come to abide. Jesus said, abide in me. He didn't say pass through me. Abide in me. Somebody say praise the Lord. Finally, number four, my fourth illustration this morning that illustrates how that Emmanuel, Jesus Christ, God with us, how God wants to be with us. This illustration is we Christians in the New Testament. I want to take this scripture from the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. And with this point, I want to illustrate the fact that God sends you into your circumstances to deliver others. When Jesus is with you, all of a sudden your life isn't about you anymore. You can't neglect you, but it's not all about you. At that moment, it becomes about God in you for the sake of others. God in you working to, to change those circumstances of other people's lives out there. Are you with me so far? Amen. Okay. Colossians 1, 26 and 27. Listen to this. It's very familiar to you. Um, but uh, if you listen to the language and the words, there's a great revelation in this. We're going to mine it out. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to God's people. To them, God chose to make known how great among, everyone say among. How great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. Everyone say in you. The hope of glory. So what is he saying? Let me just kind of break this down for you a little bit. God is saying through the Apostle Paul to the Colossians, um, there was a great mystery which God kept hidden for ages, but now he is revealing it through his church, through his people, through the relationship they have with him. And that mystery, that great mystery, was how God wanted to be among the unbelievers. God wanted to come into the earth, come into the world, and be among those that were living under the curse, the unbelievers. And he says the mystery, the secret, is revealed that it's you who live among them as Christ is in you. That's the blessing, that's the glory, that's the richness of the Lord being with them. So let's go back to Gideon for a moment. Gideon looks... And he probably has an argument that is appropriate in the mouth of unsaved people, but not in the mouth of a believer. Well, if the Lord is with us, remember he's got that group thing, where is God? See, that really is the cry of people that don't have him living in their heart. And so they're looking for him out there. Well, the world today is saying, all right, where is God? We look out in our society. Where do I find mercy? Where do I find love? Where do I find grace? Where do I find the power of God? And Paul is saying, let me, let me 
um, point to you, uh, point you to this focus that God's answer to those that are looking for Him out there is to be in you and to send you out among them. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The hope of what glory? I always used to think it was the hope of my glory. And I'm sure that it begins there. It's got to begin there. So obviously God wants to bring me into glory. He wants to bring me into the manifestation of His presence and of His power and of His virtues. But if you remember that the commandment is twofold. It's to love God with all our heart and, and mind and strength and to love others as ourselves. We see that that agape love is exactly what Jesus operated in when He came into the world for the sake of others. So God is saying to the Christian today, the hope of your city, seeing the glory of God. Now what would the glory of God look like if it hit clear water? What would the glory of God look like? People would be getting saved on street corners. I've been in cities and watched it happen. I've watched transformations of communities take place when the glory of God actually did break out and hit those communities. Not just bottled up in churches, but moving out the glory of God among the Gentiles. You understand, that's the context of Colossians. He's talking about God wanting to extend and spread His glory out into the communities where we are planted. That's the glory. So he says, it's Christ in you, the hope of the glory for Clearwater. It's Christ in you. Are you beginning to get this? See, it's not... It, it, God doesn't, doesn't look at it as, um, you're saved, you're tucked away in this church so everything's cool, you're good, now just pray that I'll save them and that they'll come to me. The Lord says, no, the hope of glory, to see the glory of people delivered out of darkness, transformed from bondage into the freedom of Jesus Christ, that glory, the hope of it is in you. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. You are the ones out of which the light will flow that others can see. So what is he saying? While you Christians are complaining that the world is hating us and the world is persecuting us and they don't want us to pray in school anymore and the, and the president's against Christians and they're persecuting and all those horrible things are happening. They're all taking place. Jesus said they would happen. They're happening and Jesus said they were happening. When these things happen, it's not for us to look at society and get, get angry and fed up and say, well, God's obviously not working in society and our message isn't popular like it was in the 80s. Or any of these other things, you know, uh, I've lived long enough to watch it happen. No, the Bible says that uh, your light shall arise out of obscurity. Those that dwelt in a dark land saw a great light. How? Because those who carried Jesus into their circumstances bore the hope of glory for those that were bound in those circumstances. Are you listening to me? That's the hope of glory. The hope of glory is not just that you know God's with you. Not just that you know He's working through you. Not just that you know that He is, that he is uh, um, operating in your life, but that you know He has sent you into those circumstances. 
We are actually working against God's call, God's purpose. When we as Christians in the world today look at the circumstances, get angry, get depressed, curse them, retreat, circle the wagons, close, batten down the hatches, and just say, well, it's just getting dark. It's, you know, the Antichrist is rising up, it's end times, and, and uh, who cares what time it is? <laughs> Hallelujah. Who cares about the timeline? Who cares about the chronology? I don't care because I know He's Lord every day. I know that since Jesus rose from the dead, there's not a day of miracles. There's not a day of revival. He's one big pent-up revival. 24-7, 365 days a day. I am the Lord, the Bible says, and I change not. So He is Lord yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same. The world's going through changes, but our attitude and perception shouldn't be rolling with those changes. He, instead of complaining about the conditions today, realized, wow, our opportunity to shine is getting better. The darker it gets, the better it is for us. Are you listening to me? But only if you know Emmanuel. Heaven erupted in praise that night, 2,000 years ago, singing and celebrating Emmanuel. Glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Why? Because God is with you. Now the Lord will live inside boys and girls and men and women. He'll be in them. So when they go out into their wilderness... There with God. God's in that wilderness. How's God in that wilderness? You see, we should get sick and tired of going out into wildernesses, going out in circumstances, going, God's not here. This is a dump. God's not here. This is dry. God's not here. There's no opportunity. I, I run into more Christians that whine. I'm thinking about serving cheese with that, all that wine. It's just pathetic. We should be so tired of Christians whining. It's dry. It's hostile. It's this. It's that. We are missing our calling. Our calling is, when we look at that, we should never say, God's not here. Well, he wasn't before you got here, but he is now. Because it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And there's the hope of glory complaining. How is that hope supposed to flow out if you and I forsake our call, diminish our vision, bottle God up? The answer's in us. It's Gideon all over again. Gideon's thinking, oh my gosh, we're overwhelmed. That how, how, if the Lord's with us, Gideon, listen, you're not listening to me. I didn't say he's with y'all. Stop trying to see him out there. He's in you. Joseph, down there. Joseph could have whined. He could have said, I'm so sick of this man. I mean, how many of us, at the point of being thrown in the pit in Egypt by your brothers, would have said, forget this. I'm done. I'm finished. That vision was stupid. That dream was nonsense. Then he goes, becomes a slave. Then he goes from being a slave to being lied about, cheated, thrown into prison. I tell you, there's precious few Christians that would still believe that God's with them after all that. After a years of demotion, 
Well, I mean, you know, we can barely take a little shaking and we think God's jumped off my, I mean, he's not with me. That man went through years of perpetual decline, bad to worse. But he, at the very bottom of his experience, he knew God was with him. And he went from the very bottom, prime minister of Egypt, savior of the world at that time when the famine hit. So famine's coming, sure. Yeah. And guess what? God's not in the famine. God's in you. Hallelujah. He's in, the answer for the famine's in you. The answer for whatever's going on in Clearwater is in you. The answer for what's going on in these streets is in you. The answer for what's going on in all your unsafe friends and people you work with who are just partying all the time and cold and indifferent and nasty and you just can't wait to get out of there because they're driving you crazy and, you know, just so grieved. And you associate with Lot. You know, Lot lived in Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot was like, oh, I can't wait to get out of here. The Bible says he was vexed with all their godless conversation. Well, he didn't have Jesus. He didn't have Emmanuel. He didn't have God with him. Rather than them irritating him, he would have been an irrit... They, you know, the one... Do you understand what I'm saying? If he had Emmanuel with him, glory to God, there'd have been a showdown. Hallelujah. That city wouldn't have had to have been destroyed. You are the salt of the earth. Jesus said to Capernaum, had the works been done in Sodom that were done in you a long time ago, they would have repented. He made my point, my case. So this morning, let me close and share with you, your fellowship with Jesus determines his connection to your circumstances. Your fellowship with Jesus determines His connection to your circumstances. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to Him who is able, everyone say able, able, to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work. Say power at work. According to the power at work within us. One more time. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think according to the power that is at work within us. Your fellowship with Jesus determines his connection to your circumstances. That's exactly what Ephesians 3.20 is all about. God is able. That word able is the Greek word dynamis. We get the word dynamite from it. God can blow your situation up. That's what he's saying. God can blow up whatever the devil's put, log jam, God can blow it up. Dunamis, God is able. The issue isn't whether God's able to deal with your confrontation. He says God's able to do far more abundantly than anything you could ask or think, but it is according to the power of God at work within you. That phrase, power at work within you, is a Greek word, energeio. Guess what word we get from energeio? Energy. Hallelujah. There's no energy crisis. Hallelujah. There may be a faith crisis. There ain't no energy crisis. The Bible says God is able to blow up your situation based on how much you let him be energized in you. The energy that blows up your situation is in you. The, 
The energy that blows up your situation is in you. The energy that will blow up your situation is in you. The energy to blow up your situation is in you. What's your situation? The energy to blow that work of the devil apart is in you. The energy to blow up, tear down the walls, the fortifications of the enemy is in you. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you think or ask according to the power energizing within you in your fellowship with Him. That's why it's so important to understand God's grace and the gift of righteousness. To understand our position. That's why I've been preaching these many months on these things. is so that you will let that power be energized within you because there's a great need out there and there's more than enough in here to blow that apart and release those captives. So our four stories illustrate that Emmanuel is God with us Pointing out to us, God is with you. Secondly, God works through you. Thirdly, when you're in those circumstances, God brings you, not to the circumstances, but brings you to Himself. And fourthly, God sends you into the circumstance to deliver others. Close your Bible and stand with me this morning. I'm sure that this morning you can think of something in your life, a situation, maybe something current going on right now. And um, like some of these guys, Gideon, the children of Israel in the wilderness, you, um, you may be looking at your circumstances and wondering where is God and looking for Him to show up. Now, if you're looking for God to show up as Jehovah Rapha, the Lord your healer, you're looking through a circumstance of sickness in your life and you're looking, and you're looking out there at the conditions, you're looking in the wrong place. I hope you've gotten that this morning. He is Emmanuel, God with you. The healer, Jehovah Rapha, He is already there. He lives in you. You need to reverse your vision. You're looking at your circumstance of financial need. You're looking at your circumstance of strife. You're looking at your threatening conditions. Stop looking at those conditions trying to find God. Look into your heart at your relationship with Jesus. That's the place from which He will arise. You are the mighty man of valor. You are the mighty woman of valor. You are the one through which he will arise. And I say this in all love and grace to you this morning, especially to you this morning, who in your heart feel like, then I'm in big trouble. If I'm looking at, at Christ in me, I'm in big trouble because I'm, I'm, so, I'm so weak. And I'm so undisciplined and, I, and I'm not very spiritual and, and I'm just constantly, you know, stumbling and staggering. You are the one that Jesus came for. He didn't come to live in the strong, the religiously perfect, oriented, but those that will open their heart and cast their care upon Him. All you need in all those troubles 
all the lack, the difficulties that you experience in your life, is to just let him love you. Open your heart, let him in. Let him love you. It's not your strength that he uses to make you a mighty man of valor. It's not your tenacity that he uses to make you a mighty woman of God. It's your humble willingness to receive him. Let him love you. Great and mighty things happened through guys like Gideon. Gideon was not the man. If God was looking for a champion, he wouldn't have stopped at the wine vat with Gideon in it. He was looking for somebody that would let him talk him into God's will. Will you let him talk you into his will for your life? Lift your hands to the Lord this morning. Father, I just thank you. I thank you, Lord, that you dwell with the broken. You are the Lord who gives strength to the weak. Heavenly Father, it is not through our righteousness, it's not through our strength, it's not through our perfection. You're not an additive that can take strong people and make them stronger. You are the burden bearer who can take the broken, carry us on your back, lead us to victory. Climb up on Jesus' shoulder right now. In your situation, be it health, be it material, be it spiritual, emotional, climb into his arms. Let him carry you. Get into the hand of God. Let him be with you. Let his strength carry you and surrender to him. If you're in a wilderness, he's there. He's there. Come to him. Hallelujah. Glory to God. While we're praying, if you're hearing this message this morning, you say, you know what? This nails where I'm at right now in my life. I need the Lord in my life. This touched a nerve in me. And I know that Jesus has come to be with me. And I want to just step out this morning and open that door and let him come and take over in me. And I believe that God will raise up in me the answer to my situation. If that's you, I just want you to lift up your hand and I'm going to pray for the, with those that have lifted up their hand. Praise the Lord. Okay, I see them. Anybody else? Glory to God. Good, good. Let it sink in. Father, in Jesus' mighty name. You are the Lord. There's never been a situation that the world has ever come up with that hell could design. There's never been a difficulty that you have not already dealt with at Calvary's cross. I pray for everyone whose hand is up that, Lord Jesus, you will stir your spirit in their heart, reorient their vision, introduce and reintroduce yourself to them as Jesus, Emmanuel, the Lord is with you. Receive Him. Receive Him now in Jesus' mighty name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. I pray you would redirect their vision. Lift up their countenance. Let them see you, Father, and come to you. In Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said amen. amen. Now, everybody join them and everyone just lift your hands up. God bless all the mothers this morning. May the light of His glory shine upon you, radiating from within you. May He go before you. 
this week as your beloved, the one on whom you rely, the one who will never leave or forsake you. Let him carry you on the arms of love and go out to be blessed and to be a blessing in this week. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you, everybody.